0: Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale February 5th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I'm Tucker
0: Markets. Tucker, I heard you have used a Leatherman yep. to fix the broken equipment That's in right. our podcast studio. How does it feel to be the handiest man at Marvel?
1: Well, there is some stiff competition around for that title. I appreciate it. I do consider myself to be quite handy. I do also own my own Leatherman, the Leatherman Wave, not SpandCon, And, uh, you know, I do all sorts of business with it. Pruning plants to, you know, threatening people on the street. Do, nope. No. You should not be threatening people on the street, Tucker. Um,
0: you are a loose cannon this week yeah. and I'm here for it. I'm doing great. My wife Believe she's getting a cold, so uh. she's terrified of making the baby sick, and I'm terrified of all of us getting sick and all kinds of stuff. But my family was around this weekend, and it was real fun, having a great nice. time. Yeah, nice, that's great. There's so much going on in the Marvel podcast world. All the stuff that we're doing on this week of Marvel, all the stuff that we're working on to have fun with on Marvel's pull list. It's good. We're gonna have a special guest later. Oh, uh, we're gonna put him under the uh, like the spotlight. Lamp, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? The
1: like creaky w- yeah. swinging light you know, and Mm -hmm. he's like pulling out his shirt collar going like, oh, it's getting hot in here. Oh, I hope (laughs) he's, his
0: his voice breaks (laughs) a lot. To be honest, his voice breaks all the time, so (laughs) there's just no way around it. Uh, But we do have a number of new comics to talk about this week, because that's what we do here on Marvel's pull list. We tell you about all the new comics that are on sale from the company, all the print issues, digital stuff, the collected editions, maybe you know them as graphic novels or trade paperbacks. Uh, We're going to tell you all about Marvel Unlimited as well, but... Let's dive into the new books. You're up first, Tucker.
1: All right, we're starting with Ant-Man number one, a book that I've been excited about for a really long time since we announced it a few months ago. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So what's exciting about this book is not just the Ant-Man action. It's not just the presence of Ant-Man, which in itself is always a boatload of fun, but we also have a Stinger here, Cassie, Scott Lang's daughter. So that dynamic, when you mix it all in, I think adds something really, really unique. The father daughter team up book is so cool because, you know, Stinger needs to be able to be a superhero in her own right, but. You just know that that fatherly influence is never going to kind of be able to be uh, held back. So getting a little bit of taste of that in certain moments in here is really, really awesome.
0: I love it as someone who is a new dad, yeah. like looking at this from a perspective of how I would handle this. Right. And I'm <laughs> like... Scott, what is wrong with you? Scott, (laughs) what is wrong with you? Scott, what is wrong with you? Scott, what is wrong with you? Yeah. The entire time. Well,
1: that's the thing that I think, you know, reading this book made me me start really thinking about is the nature of Scott Lang. The character is he goes headfirst into decisions and it's kind of what makes reading a, an Ant-Man book so much fun, you know, he he's kind of a, a do-first-think-later kind of guy. Um, Lovable loser
0: in some yeah, respects. Yes. yes. Uh, goof. Yeah. Sometimes just phone, uh, you know, ass over tea kettle. Right. And, <laughs> More <laughs> often than not.
1: So, again, the, all those kind of swirling aspects of these characters in here is really, really cool. It's something I'm excited to really start digging into, and, and I think... Ant-Man is is naturally going to be a really funny book, and Zeb Wells is a really, really, really funny guy. But when you just know those kind of strings of drama are going to start to be pulled more and more as any kind of natural Marvel comic will, it's going to be really, really awesome.
0: It was nearly one of my picks, and it has a great way of threading the needle of being a book that will be perfect if you love the MCU, but not something that is, like, forced down your throat of like, oh, you've seen the movies, now read the comic book. Yeah, yeah. Straddles the line of like being kind of perfect for anybody of any level
1: of interest in Ant Man. Yeah, that's a great point. Also, in here, we have, I believe, one of your favorites, Swarm.
0: You better believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and it is not the only appearance of Swarm this week. Yeah. This is our Marvel Universe 616 Swarm with a great twist at the end. We're going to get to another Swarm story later, but I think one of my favorite issues this week is. Black Cat number nine, because it's my first pick of the week. Oh boy. Uh man, we've picked black cat a number of times, and I can't stop because writer Jed McKay is on fire. And this week he is joined by artist Chris Anka, colorist Brian Reber and letterer Ferran Delgado. Yes, that is right. Chris Anka doing black cat. That's the
1: thing. Like, that's the team up. It's one of those things. It's you never knew you could dream that big. You know? <laughs> and then it happens, and you're like, wait, wait, hold on. What? It's incredible. Reach for the
0: stars and you know what? (laughs) All your dreams can come true. Wow. Uh, We know this book is really funny. It is really fast paced. It is full of hijinks and heists and action adventure. You know, Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. The Black Cat, has got schemes going on. She's got things happening. She's working multiple angles. She's got her crew. She's got her mentor. She's got different things going on. Then you throw in Patch. Patch is a pivotal part of this storyline, and uh, if you don't know who Patch is, it's Wolverine yeah. with an eye patch. <laughs> One of my favorite little twists of the 1980s. We first saw Patch in Marvel Comics Presents number five in June of 1988, and it was really the first time he had he wore the eye patch. You got to remember, back in the 80s, Wolverine wasn't like an instant healer. He he took a little bit longer to get better over time he's kind of become this nigh invincible machine where you know you cut off his head and it just goes right back not really but you know what I mean uh, but he wasn't called patch until two months later in the second issue of the Wolverine ongoing series I just find it really cool to bring the patch character back he's cool he wears the eye patch but he also has like a suit on he has this persona of like A bad boy in Madripoor who owns a bar who will like protect people, but you also don't want to cross them. He's like very much Wolverine, but also like like a sexier, cooler Wolverine. Right. He's like uh,
1: Rick in Casablanca.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Rick in Casablanca. I think that's a very close analogy. And then you layer on top of that, this does tie into all that's going on in Dawn of X in some ways. If so if you're reading Marauders in particular, this has some really neat ties to that. But if you're not reading the X books, don't worry, you're not going to be lost. You're not going to have to like figure anything out. Everything is laid out for you here. This book is magical. We know, especially from most recently Runaways, Chris is going to do amazing stuff with acting and facial expressions. And there's a you know 16 panel grid page in this issue with a bunch of talking heads and it's hilarious and funny and full of flavor and emotion past just the you know small box with
1: a, a talking head. If you've never read Black Cat, this is a great issue to pick. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, so awesome. Okay, next up, we have Captain America, The End, number one. This has a uh, story and art by the great, the legendary Eric Larson with colors by Dono Sanchez Almara and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, you know, when we have oftentimes a, a cover that is in homage to a, maybe a like a really famous cover or something from history or a panel, it'll say like, ex-artist after and then original artist. This entire book might as well say Eric Larson after Jack Kirby. And specifically, obviously, Jack Kirby's run with Captain America from the 1970s. There are so many moments in here where you can just Pluck it out and be like, I know exactly where that's from. I know exactly what he's referencing. And I just love seeing that lineage because it's one thing when you have, you know, a young up and comer doing something in homage to Jack or Ditko or any of the legends, but it's just, it adds another layer of how cool it is when a legend himself, Eric Larson, is doing this. And it really is one big, you know, love letter to to Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby style Captain America Uh, one last thing about this book is the coloring
0: and the lettering are also very intentionally done in a I don't want to say a non-modern style it's a little bit of a retro style so the coloring is done With a different kind of wash, it doesn't look as computerized coloring as we normally see. And the lettering, especially if you are a fan of Eric Larson comics and and the comics of his era at Marvel, there are a bunch of lettering tropes and, and things and styles that are put to use in here that evoke the feel of the book that Eric is going for. It is just a total package of really wonderful stuff.
1: Yeah, totally agreed.
0: Also wonderful this week is Conan Battle for the Serpent Crown, number one, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Luke Ross. Colors by Nolan Woodard and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this one is uh, a Conan story set in our modern time. So if you've been reading Savage Avengers, you know that Conan's just like, he's dealing with doom. He's dealing with wizards. He's dealing with cool and goth. And now he's made his way to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Kind of the perfect place to put Conan. So I thought
1: the same thing. Exactly. You know, yeah. he's
0: like, "Ooh, a strip club. Like that is perfect <laughs> for Conan." Like all these, you know, dens of iniquity and yeah, yeah. all of the, the terrible things out there that he can get his hands into. Uh, so it's Conan in Vegas. That right there should be enough for you to get into it. You got cool thieves, you got Mephisto and freaking Luke Ross. He's a pal of mine. I love him and he draws a big beefy boy Conan that uh, you just if you are a fan of the uh, the Sumerian, get up in
1: it. Yeah, Luke brought it in that show. I was really impressed. Now from Conan in Las Vegas to New York City with Daredevil number 17. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jorge Fornes and colors by Nolan Woodard. Letters throughout by VCs Clayton Cowles. One of the things that has kind of started to stand out to me about this Daredevil run is the kind of team of artists that have jumped on board with Chip Marco Coqueto launched the series and is obviously a supreme talent. So starting there is, is quite a high watermark. But what I love more than anything is that each artist that comes on board has the not just ability to execute, but the freedom to kind of put their own spin on it. And I think Jorge Fornes does an incredible job here and Nolan being one of the best colorists in the biz just really, really hits at home and makes you feel like you're in a Daredevil book. It's one of those things that it's hard to define. But there's a,
0: You have a page open and there's a panel of a nun right there that if, like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, that looks like it's straight out of Born Again, mm. like a Miller-Mazzucchelli vibe to it in the in the best way possible.
1: I I could go on for so long about the art in this book. And of course, it's brought about by this great, great Daredevil story that Chip is telling Hell yeah. Another amazing book, one that surprised the crap
0: out of me by how much I loved it is Dark Agnes, number one. My first note for this was this ruled, exclamation point, because it does. It is written by Becky Cloonan. Art by Luca Pizzari. Colors by J. David Ramos. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So if you don't know who Dark Agnes is, this is a great intro that will tell you who this badass, sword-wielding, 16th century French lady is. She takes no guff. She drinks. She yells. She's... Tortured by her past, she's angry. She uh, rides a horse. She stabs people. She gets into fights. She's like
1: got a good friend with her. She rules. Have you ever ridden a horse? Who? Mm. <laughs> you ever hit a dude ranch out on the island? I don't think I've
0: ever ridden a
1: horse. What about you? <laughs> oh hell yeah! Oh <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh hell yeah! Farm, farm town, farm town out in you know the middle of the woods for sure.
0: Do you have? Do you own horses? Together?
1: No, 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 no. Grew up on you know a street with you know five farms on it, and you know did a lot of you know casual leisure horse riding. Always scared, never that good at it, but have done it a couple of times. Anyway,
0: <laughs> that, my brain is trying to process all of this. Uh, I, I don't think I can. Um, part of this story is you know has to establish who. Dark Agnes is um, for new readers, for people coming in, and it does that really well. But it also feels like you're just joining her adventure in the perfect time to get in there. Um, And I was reading this and I was trying to think of the right touch point. My brain started to say it's kind of like the Princess Bride, but more violent, a little bit like like, if you went PG-13 almost to an R, not quite an R, but like a solid PG-13 Princess Bride in the tone of, like, its humor, its its wit, how quick it was, the action, the sense of adventure that it gives you, I really recommend this. Uh, you don't have to know anything about Robert E. Howard's, you know, characters or world or anything, just that this is a cool lady who wields a sword and is on an adventure.
1: Yeah. Done. Yeah I, yeah, I saw you know about that, and I totally agree. I think that's the perfect way to, to put it, and I'm a huge fan of Becky Clooney. and Becky actually did one, a really, really excellent run on Punisher a yeah. few years ago that I loved – so it's always great to see her back writing here. Now to Doctor Doom number five, which is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. With each issue of Doctor Doom that I read that I get more and more excited about is just continuing to get to know Christopher Cantwell's kind of oeuvre, his like the space that he likes to play in, the, the places he likes to explore, the things that he likes to do with his stories – It's really fascinating. I think a big part of it is this – there's this kind of constant, simmering, ominous-like buzz in the background to me of of this story – But what I love more than anything about this story is just taking Dr. Doom, taking Kang the Conqueror and throwing them in together, having them figure things out. Those are two of my favorite Marvel characters of all time. So to get this is such a treat because I feel like each scene that has either of them or the two of them together feels so vibrant. It feels so alive.
0: As you started talking about Kang and Doom, I started to think, I want to write a what if. That is, what if Kang and Doctor Doom fell in love? And it's a story of the two of them traveling through time, getting into hijinks and like being despots, but like being madly in love wow. together and fall like missing each other and then coming back together and then finding themselves at the end of time. I'm gonna wow. this. never. <laughs> uh, but you hear it here. On Marvel's Pull List, like you hear us talk about Immortal Hulk, Great Power, number one. This is written by Tom Taylor with pencils by Jorge Molina, inks by Adriano DiBenedetto and Roberto Poggi with colors by David Curiel and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Now, this one is interesting. We're going to have a couple of these almost bonus Immortal Hulk stories that take the core concept of what Al Ewing and Joe Bennett and the team have done of this new sort of storyline for Hulk where he's dealing with, you know, the devil Hulk and the different personas and, you know, the, the one below all, all that stuff and find other tales for it with other creators. So this is the first of those Tom Taylor in here. We're big fans of Tom on the show and he gets to tell a fun story with another character. He's been writing a bunch, you know, over the last couple of years, Spider-Man. And it is really neat because it turns Spider-Man into a Hulk and you get hulked out Spider-Man in the, the, the webs in the outfit rampaging around. But because it's a Tom Taylor comic, it ends up giving you, you know, sweet and touching moments alongside sad, just like heart rending moments with the funny bits, big action. Jorge Molina feels almost like a prestige artist. You know, he, we don't get to see enough of Jorge's art. And so when we do get Jorge to come in here, it's like, Man, it's so good. Yeah, there's, there's amazing over, covers, but but yeah,
1: really seeing interior. Yeah, there's stuff like so cool
0: vibes of Olivier Coipel and a lot of you know what he does, and so I I love that a ton. But it's look, distill it down: Spider-Man with Hulk powers, boom! You gotta love it. This issue also does take place earlier in the Immortal Hulk run and before the big Hulk thing, a honeymoon issue of Fantastic Four. So it does, even though it comes out now. You can put it back in the past. So if you're not fully caught up on Immortal Hulk, you can read this and it'll fit nicely in the timeline.
1: Heading over the old Hudson River now to magnificent Ms. Marvel number 12. It's written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Minkyu Jung, inks by Juan Velasco, colors by Ian Herring, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Man, talk about drama. I feel like the, the familial side of Kamala's life has really been ratcheted up in terms of how much drama, how much action she's facing in that front, but crazy drama with Kamala's family, but earned, earned drama, real drama that feels totally, you know, personal. I think that's tapping into something that's very special about Kamala, about how she's like one of the realest seeming people in the Marvel Universe, and for Saladin and company to zero in on that with, with these issues has been a real joy.
0: There's a, a sequence in this issue that, Sort of hits home exactly the like Peter Parkerness yes. of the the beauty of this character and and particularly how Saladin is like clicked and there's like this one panel that I, I can think of in this issue with her her like shoulders slumped and she says something and I don't want to spoil it but it's so like gut punch this is what makes a Marvel character a Marvel story Ms Marvel. So wonderful! Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're I also realize we're in Saladin mania in this yeah. uh, with this issue in this week because we've got three issues by Saladin. Uh, I think, yeah, it's pretty least, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, uh, awesome. but he does not write the next issue. Oh no, Marauders number seven is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and man, I love this book so much. It I had a tough time with what I wanted to choose this week. There were so many possible choices. This was very high up there for me. I'm a big fan of Marauders. Marauders, if you are unfamiliar, is the sort of it's got a so it's got so many parts to it. You've got Kate Pride as a sort of pirate trying to get out there and do some dirty work for the mutants. It's got Emma Frost heading up the Hellfire Trading Company, which is trying to make money for Krakoa through the sale of the Krakoan drugs. It has got action and intrigue as the other parts of the Hellfire Trading Company are trying to undermine each other. You've got new characters, rebirth, deaths, all kinds of action, and adventure, bishops on the team, storms in here. It's it's wild. There's a lot going on. And this one gives us back Callisto. I love Callisto. <laughs> she was the leader of the Morlocks. The Morlocks were the, the trash mutants who live <laughs> in the sewers. It always bugged me because they were just like, ah, we're going to live in the sewers. Was like, No, the, the X-Men have a mansion. They will <laughs> just, please, somebody help them. This issue answers some of that in a really great way. It also brings in Jumbo Carnation, who is a character from Grant Morrison's new X-Men run and had my Twitter feed blown up of people excited. I was like, we knew he was coming back. He's mentioned in one of the books in the last couple of months. But I guess getting action with him is, is wonderful. Man, I, I really, this book is so great. Callisto, the Morlocks, Jumbo Carnation, everything you want. Plus Bishop, like being sneaky and man, What a great book. Yeah. What a
1: great book. Next up, we have Marvel's Avengers Hulk, number one. This is, of course, a prequel to the events of the upcoming Marvel's Avengers video game. It's written by Jim Zub with art by Ariel Olivetti, colors by Andy Troy, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It's a big task, I think, given everything that's been going on in the Hulk corner of Marvel Comics. This carves out a very interesting space, though. I think for the character, it's really, really cool.
0: And if you are excited about the game, this is kind of a big issue yeah. uh, for the storyline for the world. It introduces a couple of characters. I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, there are a couple of characters revealed in here, which feels important to things. There's. You know, a great take on a 616 villain, which I just love, 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 love. Especially when the character is first fully introduced. The sound effect with which they are introduced. Yeah, it's the next page there. The sound effects up top is so good. (laughs) So magical. i That's so Marvel. Yeah. If you are hyped for Marvel's Avengers video game, I would say you should be reading all of these prequels. This one, definitely for sure. Yeah. Up next is Miles Morales Spider-Man number 15, also kind of a huge issue by Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon. Of course, we are in the midst of Saladinomania as he writes this. <laughs> Javier is our artist, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is unfortunately Javier's last issue of Miles Morales Spider-Man. He's moving on to other projects. We we talked about it especially at the beginning the work that Javier has done in terms of world building with costume design, with world design, with detail. So talented is this young man. I can't wait to see what comes next. And this issue has the ultimate Green Goblin attacking Miles' high school in like a huge, ginormous way, right as Miles finds out that his identity has been compromised. By someone at the school, and he has to figure out, like, again, those Peter Parker moments the you balance your superhero life versus your private life that is right at the crux of this issue. And Miles is just the best. And we see what Miles does in the face of potential catastrophe of his private life falling around him. Big action, there's so much going on on this page. I was talking about Marvel Universe The End on This Week in Marvel recently with Lorraine Sink because Jim Starlin draws these pages with like 50 characters on them. And it's massive and cool and fun. Javier is drawing dozens of goblins and, and you know, running children and all kinds of stuff and action. And, you know, he's thinking about angles and he's messing with panel borders in all the best creative ways. It is really a spectacular book. And... It leaves the story in a in a way where you're like, where do they go now? What happens to Miles and his private
1: life coming out of this? It's great. This is a welcome entry here this week. It's Savage Avengers number zero. That is an incredible book over the last year or year plus. One of my absolute favorites, like a just absolutely metal story that Jerry Duggan has told, and we are going to chapter zero here with a story that kind of bookends a classic tale by Jerry Duggan, Greg Smallwood, with Travis Lanham. And basically, you could give me Greg Smallwood doing Anything and it would be one of my favorites of the week.
0: I think it was Jerry fell in love with working with Greg like a year or two ago on yes. the, the Defenders one shot yes, that they did. Yes, yes. And since it was like a revelation. And I know Jerry was so he had he had Greg commission like a Doctor Strange piece for himself. <laughs> right. He got so excited about working with Greg. And now they're you see them like team up on things here and there wherever they can, and it's magic.
1: He's so incredible. There's it's like magic. It, it, it really it's is. Ma- magic is in the story. Yes, Tucker, I <laughs> let you have that, and
0: you just veer the other way. Yeah, Kudos there's this. You. There's this
1: great scene that kind of we open up on this beach with magic and Doctor Strange and Cable, and to see that be our entry point into another one of Jerry Duggan's favorite things, Kulan Goth. Then we dive into. Uncanny X-Men number 190 and 191 by Chris Claremont, John Romita Jr., and Dan Green. This issue scarred people. Wow. Like, I know <laughs> of a certain generation who were reading
0: Uncanny at the time. This issue, F them up. Jerry, in, in among them, he's talked about this issue at length numerous times because it's everybody dies. It's two <laughs> issues in the middle of X-Men where Cool and Goth wins. Yeah, And then he kind of loses and everything goes back to normal, but it's left so ambiguous that it it is why we have Savage Avengers. This is the reason why we have this Savage Avengers title.
1: And again, maybe it's eight pages of Greg Smallwood art. That's all I need. Give me one and I'll pick it. it, it it's so, so incredible. I love the way he draws magic. I love the way that- His fine-ass, young, sexy cable is- It's crazy. Wonderful. It's crazy. The jawline on that guy is nuts. Yeah. I love this kind of thing. I I wish we would do this so much more, just like this little bookend, dive into a story, a classic story, dive back out. This is awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what else is awesome? Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble number four. I love this book- so much it's a tight little four issue limited series with this being the final issue it is written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Gudahiro, letters by VC's Travis Lanham, and it is just the perfect book for kids and families and anybody to pick up. You've got a squirrel version of Spider-Man. You've got a kitty cat version of Venom. They are trying to get back into their regular bodies. They're roommates. They've got action adventure. There's, you know, wild stuff. You have Doc Ock, who's just, like, delighted to have captured them and is going to experiment on them. It's just so cute, so much fun. It doesn't have any, like, world-changing consequences to it. It is just good, fun comic books. I really, really, really Hope you've checked it out. Pick it up when it comes out in collection. If not, or if you must, wait until it hits Marvel
1: Unlimited in a couple months. Now we have my first pick of the week because it's Star Wars Darth Vader number one. I think Darth Vader comics at Marvel are among the like highest batting average on a series level, highest batting average on like an individual issue level because we had Kieran Gillen's run, we had Charles Soule, and now we're having, you know, we have this new series kicking off here. Some of my favorite comics in the last few years have been Vader stories and Vader issues because there's so much area to explore. So with all of that in mind, when Greg came into the office and uh, chatted with us a little bit, he was just here to talk to Mark Paniccia and Tom Gronman, about writing this book. Uh, so uh, we, we we caught a few minutes of his time, and he had some really, really fascinating things uh, to say about the character and about where this series is going. Um, we can take a little listen to that right here. First of all, I told you off mic. I am an enormous fan of your run with Phil Noto on Star Wars. It made me so excited for you taking over Darth Vader. Why Vader? Aside from the fact that he's Darth Vader, (laughs) um, and it's one of the coolest characters of all time, what Kind of story did you want to tell in the new era of Star Wars that Marvel Comics and Star Wars fi- you know finds itself right. in? Uh, what kind of story were you aiming for? Well, the the really cool thing is
2: that the you know where we were at was um, you know when they came to me it was like okay well we are now post Empire so you've got the chance to tell a Vader story in the immediate aftermath of Empire Strikes Back, which is sort of the coolest place to tell a Vader story. You know what I mean? And the the, the coolest little place to tell an untold Vader story. Um, Because at the end of Empire, we all remember Luke's Perspective of the end of empire. He gets his hand lopped off. He finds out that Vader is his father. He, you know, Vader tries to, you know, you know, come with me. We'll rule the galaxy together. You know, and Luke's horrified by all this, and he, you know, he he tumbles. He lets himself fall down into the depths of Cloud City. You know, he he rejects his father, and 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 he's wrecked. You know what I mean? You know, and 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 that's whose perspective we really mostly follow. But um, but this is a chance to follow Vader because Vader is equally wrecked by that encounter, you know? I mean, you, you, when you go back and kind of unpack that scene, you know, Vader has been the Emperor's, you know, uh, watchdog. You know what I mean? Like, Vader serves the Emperor. But in this moment when he sees his son, he meets this son for the first time, and he, you know, he he fights with him, and he senses the force in this kid. Like, this kid is, this, the force is strong in this one. You know what I mean? It really is. And, and Vader, he actually offers to join up with this kid, overthrow the emperor, and rule the galaxy with his son. Like, he, he thinks this is that moment, you know, where everything's going to change for him. And then his son rejects him, you know? Like, that's, that's huge. Um, you know, like, and particularly in the context of the prequels and everything, where this scene parallels Anakin and Padme on that platform in Mustafar at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith spoiler alert um, <laughs> but you know it, because it's the same moment where Anakin is like you know he's flushed with all this new power and everything and, and Padme's horrified you know he, she's just found out he's killed the younglings he's done all these horrible things but but he tells her you know like basically it's the same thing that he tells Luke later you know we we'll, we will rule together you know this is my galaxy now it's ours you know and Similarly, she rejects him, you know, so this is this is that whole thing happening. It's re-traumatization. It's the same That same cycle his whole Mind and heart are split wide open at the end of this So it's this incredible emotional moment and I you know I'm incredibly thrilled to to sort of been pulled on board to write this and of course being Vader What he's gonna decide to do is hunt down everyone who hid the existence of his son from him and destroy them Uh, but Every step of the way, he's going to get deeper into his own past mm.
1: and and have to face what happened with Padme as well. I don't know how, but I'm that parallel between episodes three and five, and you talking about that made me even more excited for this <laughs> book. Oh man! And it gets to the heart. It gets to the heart of of what makes you one of my favorite writers. As oh. someone who reads every book every week, um, there's just incredible humanity. In Greg Pak's stories, Uh, and even when it comes to like the baddest dude in the galaxy, it's still there. (laughs) Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Greg for chatting with us. That was like me at my most like holding myself back. Like I could have talked to him for hours about so many different things. Great guy, so so kind, so nice to give us his time, and I can't wait for more Vader.
0: Woo! One book that we love to another. Here we are with my second pick of the week, and it is Spider Verse. Number five, or should I say Spider-Verse? There it is. There's a little Nick Lowe action <laughs> for you. Uh, Spider-Verse number five, written by Christos Gage. Art by Juan Ferreira. And uh that is tip to tail, the entire thing by Juan. Colors, yeah. inks, pencils, the whole kit and caboodle. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino as well. Man, I just... I, I This one snuck up on me. I didn't realize Juan was drawing this. I didn't know... Christos was going to be writing it, and here it is. Get a little bit of Spider-Verse action. So, preface, this version of Spider-Verse, this storyline has had Miles Morales jumping around from reality to reality, trying to fix problems, help out the spider people in those realities that would then help fix the, you know, the web of life and destiny, so that the spider totems can once again float around through reality, following off of what happened in spider Garden, And so, Here, we've got Miles jumping into Earth 90214, where that's the home of Spider-Man Noir. This one is kind of a backdoor pilot to our brand new Spider-Man Noir series, which will be coming soon from Margie Stoll and Juan Ferreira as well. So this is cool. The problem was Spider-Man Noir died Mm -hmm. in Spider-Geddon. So what happened? You find out right away. It's it's great. It's comic books. It actually really fits. If you are a fan of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and you liked the little bit of Nicolas Cage Spider-Man noir action you got there, or you like the old Spider-Man noir stories, or just want something weird and fun, this is going to be a perfect book because we get into this and there's action adventure. Miles joins up with this version's Peter Parker, and they're going around fighting Nazis. I love it. And this is our second swarm appearance of the week. This one is a new swarm. It fits for this alternate reality. This swarm is Madame Sturm. Madame Sturm. <laughs> uh, and she's gnarly. Of course, you let Juan loose designing a horrifying B Nazi scientist lady. He's going to crush it. Just her eyes. I like looking at the panels where you see her face. It is. Like icky in all the best ways. I man, I love it. It's just action, adventure. It is fun. It moves so quickly. And it gives us a great way to to see Spider-Man Noir reborn, brought back, and get us ready for the new book.
1: Totally. Strike Force number six now. This is written by Teeny Howard with art by Jacopo Kamanyi. Colors by Goober EFX and Letters and Design by VCs Joe Sabino. This is such a a fascinating book. It's making me think a lot about team books. It's making me think a lot about how to construct a team story. It's kind of oddly tricky in a way. I think it's a very sneaky, tricky thing to do, I would think. Or one might think like, oh, you got all these characters. You got all these resources. You got so much to do. Just, just go for it. You just do it. I don't know. But it is actually often such a tough puzzle to figure out. And a bunch of different writers have talked about how tricky that actually ends up being. I think Teeny does such a good job at it. And at its best, you know, you can put the, the team against any background and each character will still shine in their own light. They still feel like themselves. They still feel like they're reacting to a scenario like they would. And they still feel like when you're seeing them talk or you're following them down a, a corridor or something for me like in this story like when we have these moments with blade i feel like i'm just reading a blade book which i think is a real testament to how much ownership teeny has over these different characters and i could say that for anyone for hellstrom for anybody else on this squad
0: also there's something in this issue that creeps hellstrom out which yeah. is one of my favorite little bits in yeah
1: yeah it, it's so perfect and it's very teeny howard which i love
0: heck yeah all right, we've got to move on to Swordmaster, issue number eight, written by Shutsu with art by Gunji and adapted by Amy Chu. This one has Lin Lai figuring out that he can command his magical sword and trying to like actually march upon his destiny. There's lots of great little comedic sort of Manga slash anime feeling moments throughout this, which I think is uh, a great touch point. A lot of people who may come into this, it's not a like traditional Marvel superhero tale, but it it's fun, it's fast. The question I have for you, Tucker, is if you had a magical sword, mm-hmm. how quickly would you hurt yourself? With oh said my sword? god!
1: Okay, I'm so scared of sharp objects. I was literally having a conversation with producers Jorge and Mr. Two minutes before we started recording, about how scared I am of sharp things. I've cut myself so many times. I can show you multiple scars right now on my just the left side of my body. I'm right-handed, so like my wayward swings of things when I'm holding people up in the street with my Leatherman Wave. Not sponsored content. Uh, <laughs> I frighten myself. You like gave me a flashback when you just asked that question. How long would you last?
0: I, I'd be pretty good. All right.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I would last a, at least a day or two. I feel like I learned very, there was a period of my life where I was accidentally getting hurt so regularly that it made me like way cautious for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> I, I have an X-Acto knife, not Sponcon as well, <laughs> uh, in my cup of pens. Yeah. And I know it's there. Yeah. And I never hurt myself with it, but like I, I play with it oh, all the time. Never once cut myself. I feel like I am real good with it.
1: Wow. Oh, man. I got to shake myself out of that. Okay. We're moving on now to my second pick of the week. It's one that I was pumped for. And holy moly, did it deliver. This is X-Men Fantastic Four number one. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with incredible art. By the Dotsons, that's uh, Terry Dotson on pencils, Rachel Dotson on inks, Dexter Vines and Carl Story on ink assists, colors by the incredible Laura Martin and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. If you couldn't tell, I think Marvel editorial has placed a lot in this book just based on that creative team. That is a crazy group of like all stars. That is actually insane. This book, Uh, I think it stems from the seed of a scene that took place in House of X number one, where Slim showed up in Washington Square Park in New York City and had a conversation with Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four about Franklin Richards's place in the world. The X-Men, obviously the mutants, extended a hand to Franklin and said, you're welcome to come to Krakoa.
0: Tucker, if you were Franklin Richards in this situation and the Question was posed to yeah. you. What would you do?
1: I mean, I, I would go to Krakoa. Yeah,
0: I'm Krakoa curious. Yeah, which I think I stole that from Jerry or <laughs> t- Teeny or somebody. But yeah, w- without question, yeah. right? It's like yeah, yeah. I want to go through the gate. I want to see what weird stuff is happening. I want to like you know talk to the island and see what he's all about yeah. or it's all about. And yeah. I want to like see resurrected mutants. I want to know what is going on
1: yeah it's all the newness that's happening there but it's also just like cyclops and it's like these other characters and figures you're not
0: selling it when you say cyclops
1: (laughs) (laughs) maybe but these figures that are so influential that i feel like have swirled around franklin so much in the past but that he's never like fully jumped on board with and just that prospect alone let alone everything new with krakoa so much to know so much to explore there is like reason enough for me so yeah So cool.
0: If there's one of our listeners out there who would not want to go to Krakoa, tell Mm. us, like, tell us, use hashtag Marvel's pull list, or just tweet to at h m or at Tucker Marcus. Tell us why. I'm curious. Like, I can see part of the argument. It's like, you're going somewhere where none of your family is allowed. Everything is new. Everything is different. You have no security. Like, all of that might be difficult for some people, but I'm curious. Yeah. Last book of the week is Yandu number five. This one is written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler with art by John McRae, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I freaking love this book. It's so good. We've talked about it at length. And I think it's been a picker, you know, once or twice. It is weird and funny and gross out and full of surprises. One of the surprises being that uh, there's a character in this issue, which I did not expect to see again. It's mm-hmm. a little fairy character named Skeet who was a big part of Thanos' story in the early to mid-2000s, right before Annihilation. She like rolled with Thanos in his adventures where he wore essentially like a toga, kind of. (laughs) Uh, And to see her show up in a really funny way, you could see Zach and Lonnie just having fun with a cosmic side of Marvel, and John McRae just born to draw. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, dudes getting kicked in the nuts. And there's this big (laughs) panel in here, which is just glorious. I love it. It is fun and it feels like you are – this story has done such a great job of giving us an arc for Yandu Udantu from this present time where you see where he was at the beginning and you see where he is at the end and you. this journey has been very fulfilling. I, I – you know, I, as I think a lot of people might have slept on this book, it's five issues – Really tight story in, in all the best ways. Big adventure, but surprisingly spiritual
1: and
0: touching yeah. in, in a lot of ways. It's a great comic book.
1: Nice. Okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. Now for print collections, we have Adventures of the X-Men Tooth and Claw, Agents of Atlas, Pandemonium, Ghost Spider, Volume 1, Dog Days Are Over.
0: We have an episode of This Week in Marvel about Ghost Spider and the other Gwens. Shauna McGuire, the writer of this book, she'll be on there talking about uh, Ghost Spider.
1: Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, then we have Old Man Quill, Volume 2, Go Your Own Way, uh, Punisher Epic Collection, Jigsaw Puzzle, Star Wars, Age of Republic, Swordmaster, Volume 1, War of the Ancients, and Venom by Donny Cates, Volume 3, Absolute Carnage.
0: Uh, some digital collections. Just hitting the app this week. Guardians of the Galaxy by Brian Michael Bendis, volumes one and two. Heroes for Hire by Abnett and Lanning, the complete collection. Sif Journey into Mystery, the complete collection, which is highly recommended. Catherine Eminem crushing it on oh, that yeah. one. And that book was terrific. Uh, and Uncanny in Humans, volume two, that collection. All right, it is time for us to talk a little bit about Marvel Unlimited because on. Th- hey, I, don't know,
3: I don't know what you guys are doing here right now, but uh, I, don't know I was what's just happening. Out back flipping burgers <laughs> and uh, thought that you might want some. so-
0: uh, Terrific. Yeah. Oh, so, you're so sweet. Yeah, so thoughtful. You know, that's, that's my, Brad, get in here. Dad,
1: Brad, Dad, all... Brad, Dad, Brad. Do you want to Bruce Springsteen this with me? Can we yes. do that? Hell yeah. So we often talk at the end of the show. We mentioned who works on the show. So many great people work on the show. Uh, someone who I don't think technically actually does work on this show uh, is Mr. Brad Barton. Yeah, that's Clint Barton's uh, half-brother, yep, I'll say. Correct. Um, uh, who, uh, Brad, works in Marvel Audio Department. And uh, I think Brad came to us to talk about Marvel Unlimited. We said, you know what, Brad? You've been flipping burgers in the corner of these episodes of Marvel's Pull List for so long, why don't you jump on Mike and talk with us about it? Brad. Tell us what Marvel Unlimited is. Go.
3: Oh, man. I'm, I'm so excited to branch out from just flipping burgers in the corner and sitting under tables reading the comics. Um, if you haven't gotten uh, to be yet part of this app where over 25,000, way more than 25,000. It's closer point,
0: to 27,000. It's
3: got to be. Yeah. That's at least a solid weekend of reading right mm, there. Maybe. I mean, if
0: you're slow, whatever. No <laughs> yeah, <deal>. I know. <laughs> That's me. Sorry. My wife reads so fast, and I do not. I like, take my time with everything, and she's like, I'm done. I'm like, what? Huh?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. It it takes me forever. My reading stack is a mountain at yeah. this point. Anyway, Wait, for
0: for listeners, I just want to point out that uh producer Jorge is like I can feel his perturbedness because he's trying to fix the mic so that both Brad and Tucker can share it. Brad
1: and I are 10th Avenue freeze-outing this <laughs> mic right now. Uh-huh. What does that mean? That's a Bruce Springsteen. Reminds. Oh, boy. New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> um, uh, so we're kind of uh, both on the same t- side of this
3: mic. It's going to be a serious duet. Get back in here. Put your cheek close to my face <laughs> as we talk about this.
0: Can I be yeah. Clarence? Clarence is... Sure. Right? He's a guy in the, the E Street band. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have a bunch of issues. I want to hear what you're reading on Marvel Unlimited in a second. Um, this week, we're going to put the full list on Marvel.com. We'll link it in the show notes, all that good stuff. This week, hitting Marvel Unlimited, Death's Head number one, Teeny Howard, Kaizama, really cool, awesome series. Fantastic Four number twelve, which is the Hulk thing, fight the honeymoon issue. It is terrific. Powers of Ten number one. So if you have been waiting, you are getting it. It's happening. Yeah. Two important things for like fill-in issues. Hercules, Prince of Power, Full Circle. It's an original graphic novel by Bob Layton from 1988, following up on the two limited series he had done. If you've never read a Hercules story, this is like all the Hercules, Prince of Power stuff. You're going to be like, this dude rules. Where has he been all my life? And then Menace, issues 1 through 10, which is... So good, you guys. I discovered Menace last year during our 80th anniversary, but they're old Stanley horror stories. He's got Namor creator Bill Everett on some art, George Tuska, Werner Roth, who worked on the X-Men back in the day. Uh, If nothing else, check out the covers. They are gnarly. They're full of monsters and just like, we're going to scare the pants off of you. It's so good. I love Menace so much. Uh,
3: I want to second the Hercules Prince of Power I, knew you, uh, uh, yep. I um, knew you would. Yep. I
0: knew you would.
3: Yep. The secret is out. I'm 114 years old. Yeah. So uh, so I read Bob Layton's uh, Prince of Power stuff way back in the 80s, and they were a blast. They're so fun. They're ridiculous and funny and science fiction-y. I always loved seeing Hercules in the context of sci-fi interstellar stuff.
0: Yeah. It is like get him off Earth, get him outside the Pantheon and just have him do weird stuff. It's yeah. great.
3: Yeah, and, and if you're still on the fence for the whole Marvel Unlimited thing, I'm, going, I'm literally looking at my Marvel Unlimited right now because, of course, you can carry around 12 offline issues, which I do in my commute. So right now, those 12 would be House of X number one. So excited to dive in because I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner, so now it's time. Get
0: out of my studio. I know, studio.
3: I know. Enjoy the burgers. Um, uh, a handful of unbelievable Gwenpool I just read the Drax the Destroyer miniseries from 2005. Oh Keith, yeah, Keith, Keith Giffen, Giffen wrote
0: that. Uh, Mitch Brettweiser. Yeah. Oh man, that it's ooh, good. The Blood Brothers are in there. The Blood Brothers Network are in there. Rules
3: and is sort of an unofficial uh, entrance point to the annihilation plotline of the of the mid aughts. And I like to go on Marvel Unlimited and go way, way back to the beginning. So I'm currently looking also at a Marvel Mystery Comics issue from yeah. like nineteen forty one or something. Now we're
0: talking, we're getting yeah. this start strutting. Yeah. This is good. You yeah. should read Menace.
3: This is this is where I drop the mic and clearly where I need to read Menace. You're yeah. right. You're right. I love that stuff. It's
0: good stuff. So that has been your shill section of the week. (laughs) We are pumping Marvel Unlimited for you. But we actually all really love it and use it. One thing uh, for this week is that Marvel Unlimited is getting its own social media pages. And part of that is a celebration, because throughout the day, on Wednesday, February fifth, we are giving fans chances to win a five-year-long Marvel Unlimited subscription If you just are following the new Marvel Unlimited pages on Twitter and Facebook, that's follow at Marvel Unlimited February 5th for more information, which means get on it, like, now. Uh, This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Jorge Estrada with help from Mr. Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Before Marvel Unlimited, there was Brad Barton's Sanctum Emporium, accessible via an interdimensional portal, Cree Password, plus a special Asgardian key look guys it was a whole thing just go to marvel unlimited so much easier to read all your marvel
1: comics wow brad what an honor oh
0: for who for me hey i'm ryan i'm tucker and i'm brad and this is marvel
1: your universe burger time
3: eat up